if you're anything like me, you don't know too much about stock market investing, but know that it's something that you probably should know more about. For the longest time, I didn't really know where to start and didn't really know what I was doing. Thankfully, I knew somebody like Griffin and to see him do what he's done over the past three years, creating his YouTube page that now has 50,000 subscribers. He is now my go-to guy when it comes to any questions related to the stock market and financial investing. His YouTube channel is completely stacked with so much valuable information that everybody in their 20s and 30s should be hyper aware of. It honestly gives you an unfair advantage when it comes to financial literacy. I know that he knows what he's talking about <laughs> and it was an absolute pleasure having him on and I think it was probably one of the most enjoyable and insightful conversations that I've been a part of. So without further ado, Griffin Milks. So we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Call. Uh, we've got a pretty special guest here today. Re first ever recurring guest, actually. Uh, Griffin Milks is on the podcast with us today. We have Griffin, Amber, John, and Austin here. What up? Uh, Griffin and I are in my soon-to-be podcast studio office that's slowly coming along. So how are you doing, Griffin? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Straight chilling, man. Straight It's a beautiful chilling. day. So Toronto's out, or uh, Toronto, Amber's out in Toronto as usual, John in BC and Griffin and I are here in Quebec. So uh, this is the first time that John and Griffin have met. Amber and I uh, did Griffin's podcast solo earlier. And uh, I know John was a bit displeased that he missed that one because of how much content that John watches of Griffin. And for those, for those of you that don't know or haven't heard Griffin's previous episode, you can find him on YouTube uh, under his name, Griffin Milks, where he talks a lot about financial investing and really, you know, Griffin, why don't you just intro yourself? Cause I'm probably going to butcher it here. Sure. So yeah, I talk a lot about specifically stock market investing, but then pretty much just all personal finance slash investing topics that interest me and that organically the audience has over time sort of expressed an interest in. So that'll usually revolve around stock market investing. I analyze a lot of stocks from a fundamental standpoint, going through their different financial um, documents, such as balance sheets, cash flow statements, et cetera. And then also uh, I'm getting a lot more into real estate investing. It's something I'm really interested in. So I just share basically my experiences with the audience and Hopefully it can help people along the way. So that's it. As Austin said, it's just mostly on my YouTube channel, which is Griffin Milks. What, what so would yeah, you, I'm really happy to what would you call yourself? Are you a YouTuber investor? What would you, what, what title would you give yourself? Yeah, well, let's, you know, <laughs> I'd say probably all of the above. Yes, definitely YouTuber at this point. It's like, 
a lot of people, when you think of YouTuber, you think of like prank videos and all that, but at the end of the day, someone who posts two, three videos a week, yeah, I would probably characterize myself as a YouTuber, but definitely uh, investor as well. You know, I'm actively looking to invest in various different securities that interest me and that I think will do well over time. So probably those two, those two things right there, investing YouTuber. It's a brand new, uh, brand new thing. It's a brand new title. Those are going to be on the business cards. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, go ahead, John. Well, yeah, Griffin, I was going to ask, you know, do you think that fi- like um, personal finance is sort of trending right now? Like, do you think that it's like, like a popular topic? Or is it just the fact that we're all in that same like early 20s where we are like, you know what, we should probably take care of this aspect of our lives? I think there's a mix of both. Definitely personal finance is something that's trending a lot more and it's a lot more accessible to people now due to the internet. You know, when I talk mm. with various different people in my surrounding, whether it's family or extended family, other friends and stuff, it's not necessarily something that was always of interest to people. But now that we have the internet where you can literally binge watch YouTube videos about personal finance and stuff, yeah, I definitely think it's something that's trending a lot more. Um, But I also think it happens to be with our circle of interest, right? Like for example, John, you were mentioning off camera that you've watched a couple of my videos and now you're kind of in this realm of like YouTube and other platforms are pushing content to you all the time. So then it's just like, you feel like it might be trending a lot more, I think, than it actually is in the open, open like society, if that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, no, I imagine you, some you people I mean? based on their interest. No, I, I agree. I, I imagine some yeah. people are getting more cat recommendations, whereas I'm getting Griffin Milks and Gramsifen. Uh, exactly (laughs) but definitely it's turning a lot more and i think it's awesome that it is more people need to be interested in it and actually take hold of their finances young uh you know all of us here we're all in our 20s and it's fantastic that you should start it as soon as possible so why do you think it's trending like uh you know why is personal finance in a boom um i think investing so Personal finance is like a really broad topic. Let's say yeah, investing, yeah. right? And sure, let's just sure. narrow it down to investing first. Uh, investing in the stock market is just so much more accessible now than ever with mostly these mobile trading applications. In the US, mostly Robinhood, Webull, et cetera. Here we have like well simple trade and stuff. Um, five years ago or so, when I started investing in the stock market, it was super difficult to like actually start. You know, it wasn't just a question of opening up an account in two seconds and then uh, you could start trading stocks. You had to actually like apply. They'd send you, let's say, Questrade. They'd send you papers that you had to fill out, send back them. It was a big process. Um, so I think just accessibility is one of the reasons why it's trending a lot more. Sure. Okay. And then also, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of younger individuals are just interested in being successful type of thing and investing and becoming you know i say so yeah yeah like i think it's something that we're interested in um and uh that, yeah that's probably that would be my answer it's just uh, yeah i guess with it be, becoming more accessible more people are actually taking advantage of these ways of actually building wealth like so like yourself right like you're 23 years old yeah i just turned 24 last month but yeah yeah, yeah, so 24 years old. And I imagine, do you feel like a lot of your friends look up to you like you're the investing guy? Like when they're like, hey, man, like, so like I got like five grand and like, you know, I'm looking at, you know, making a dividend portfolio. Like, are you the guy they go to? Interestingly, no, actually. Oh, wow. In a okay. sense. Not that, not because, yeah, I don't know. Um, my friends, 
Not really. Austin asks me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah, smart like, friends. Yeah. I'm like, hey man, like I straight up asked him one time, like, yo, what stock should I invest in? And he was just like, not gonna give you anything. It like, just depends. <laughs> like that type of open ended question is too. So, uh, I was like, totally get it. I was like, bad. I had to try. Yeah. But um, yeah, no. Interestingly, not as much as I would have hoped, but. If any of my friends or whatnot are, are listening, my door's open. You can just send me a DM and we can, we can chat about it. Fair yeah. enough. And with it being more accessible, because I mean, you know, the traditional model was really like the advisor role, right? Like a lot of people, that's their only, their only really access to the market was through an advisor. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, through various books, you know, advisors have sort of gotten a really bad rap right now. And then, of course, there's the do-it-yourself, which was really inaccessible back in the day. Like you said, you'd have to, like, get some, you know, a bunch of mail sent to you, fill out a bunch of documents. Yeah. Trading fees were really high, you know. Um, and then That's now, thing. Yeah, absolutely. whereas Trading now, whereas now well. you even mentioned, like, Wealthsimple, you know, Quest Trade. Like, these are, you know, uh, you know well, Wealthsimple being a robo-advisor, um, and which Griffin, by the way, has a really good video if you want to learn more about Wealthsimple. It's a really good video kind of explaining that whole business model and the pros and cons of that. But, you know, you know, given the three categories, advise, you know, getting a financial advisor, a do-it-yourselfer, and a robo, what do you think, um, you know, for the average millennial person who's listening to this video, you know, between the ages of 20, maybe even younger, up to about 25, what do you think is best for them, getting an advisor, doing it themselves, or getting a robo? So, yeah, first and foremost, I just like to say, so Simple, they actually have two different products. So one of them is like what John was just mentioning, this whole robo-advisor. So this is sort of this newer um, portfolio construction where essentially you'll give the platform or the company uh, a certain amount of money that you want to invest. And then they will uh, do a portfolio, they'll construct a portfolio for you based on a list of criteria that you fill out in like a form, essentially an intake form, and they'll create a portfolio with exchange-traded funds uh, for you. So it's basically the most hands-off passive way of investing that you can do at a lower fee than what you could get with an advisor, which oftentimes an advisor, they're just gonna go ahead and sell you a bunch of mutual funds anyways that are at like two, three, 4% management fee. So um, I would definitely, so yeah, so, I would personally recommend doing doing it yourself. You can learn so much just on the internet now, watching YouTube videos, etc. And what I usually recommend individuals do is stop picking, just trying to pick individual stocks it is still very difficult, but I understand the appeal. I definitely like doing it myself. What I usually recommend is called a, a core hybrid portfolio where you'll have say 50, 60% of your portfolio is just comprised of ETFs. So just broad market passive ETFs, low fee. I'm talking things like a, an S&P 500 ETF or a, a total US market, total Canadian market ETF. So that's gonna provide your portfolio with stable um, income, dividend income, as well as diversification and just appreciation over time. Typically it's not gonna be anything insane, uh, but you know, a five to let's say 10% uh, yearly consistent appreciation. And then I would recommend if you do wanna be more hands-on really just learn how to uh, how to read uh, financial documents. And then you can go and hand select usually five to 10 individual stocks that you think based on your criteria um, of your investor profile will fit uh, your overall strategy. That's usually what I recommend people do. And then you can get a lot deeper into specific analysis of companies and stuff. But 
as a general basis, that's what I would recommend 20-year-olds do. You, you think that, yeah, you think that uh, investing, at least in the stock market, um, is accessible enough that people don't need to necessarily go get an advisor, is what you're saying? I do not, personally. I don't, I don't think so. No. Yeah, like this is what, when I overtly ask Griffin, like, hey, what stock should I buy kind of thing, like, you know, just let me know what you're, what you're doing. And he was hesitant to do that, which makes total sense. I mean, obviously he doesn't want to be on the hook for the stability of my savings. Uh, and, but what I did learn is exactly what he said is that, you know, I've, uh, and what I ended up investing in was a, was a decent variety of ETFs and individual stocks that were happened to be in tech pre COVID, which was just amazing. A huge salt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then as well as, um, some dividend stocks as well. So, uh, it was, it was pretty, it, 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 that's what I learned. And I was kind of surprised to hear that that's cause I knew absolutely nothing about, about investing or trading or anything like at all. Like I would say if, if there's anybody listening to this, who's just like trying to even make sense of what Griffin said so far and what John said so far, like hundred percent right there with you, or at least I was, you know, eight months ago and just through kind of learning um through griffin's channel through speaking with griffin and uh a lot of what he shared about kind of how to diversify your preliminary investments like it's been quite well so far despite that i actually invested a lot of it on uh march 5th so yeah which was the week before the pandemic (laughs) the sole goal of you doing the stock picking of course i mean other than it seems like you're actually quite passionate about it and just by watching your videos it seems like you actually enjoy doing right despite the, maybe the math behind like the time invested versus, you know, the increased return, like you're trying to beat the market essentially with, with the stock picking. Right. And so for the average person, why not just invest all of their money in an ETF, which just for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with that lingo, ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's like a mutual fund. However, you can buy it openly on the stock market. And so one in Canada, which I'm, um, which Griffin talks a lot about on his YouTube channel is the Vanguard S and P 500 fund, which is the VFV uh, stock ticker. So why not just invest all your money in a in a you know in a VFV fund and just say you know what I'm just gonna sit back and I'm just gonna go back to what I normally do for work. I would say to be honest, you absolutely could, and it'll yield great results for you. I just have now sort of built a community. Well, first of all, yeah, like you've just mentioned, I am passionate about it, so I like doing it anyways. And yeah, I've sort of yeah. built a, a community of individuals who uh, like to. See like, to, like me to analyze various companies, they suggest companies and I do it anyways. But um, no, to be honest, I would say that if you wanna treat investing really more just as a passive thing, creating a portfolio of ETFs can be an absolutely great, uh, great thing for you. And over time, it'll probably yield potentially even better results than if you're sort of um, not, uh, not putting enough, I was gonna say, yeah, anyways, I was going to say, <laughs> if you're just half-assing it, I guess we can cut that out. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. Yeah, we're okay, totally good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> this is so much more casual. If it doesn't we're, really yeah. We're going to lose our sponsors, that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, yeah, I think if you're just, if you're someone, you have your job or your business and investing is really just sort of a side hobby, you're not really interested in keeping up with the stocks you're invested in because that's something I'm really adamant about of you need to keep up with the financials and the news about each company. So, you know, I have people all the time reach out to me and they're like, yeah, I have a portfolio of 25 stocks. It's not doing too well. What's going on? And it's like, well, which positions, you know, start with like which positions 
are doing the best, which ones aren't doing as well, and when did you invest in them? What was your reasoning behind it? Why did you do that? Like, there's more to it than just mm-hmm. taking a bunch of stocks that Griffin talked about on YouTube. That's why. Yeah. That's yeah. why, like, to me, I'm just a guy on YouTube talking about stocks that interest me. But at the end of the day, if you want to be a hands-on investor, you need to absorb the knowledge and kind of apply it to yourself, which I do. I'll concede does take a bit more research and stuff. So. Anyways, back to your, I'm digressing a bit, but back to your, your initial question. Yeah, I think constructing a portfolio of ETFs can be a great solution. Absolutely. For someone who is there wants like to a, more. Is there like Absolutely. a like a, um, a particular investor like uh, that's maybe like famous that, that you would kind of say that has inspired you to actually go down the active route? Um, not necessarily, to be honest. Um, I don't really, I don't really spend that much attention looking at, uh, huge like famous investors or whatnot because at the end of the day they're treating this stuff more as a business anyways and just investments per se um obviously like i've read you know peter lynch's books and i've read some warren buffett stuff but in general um i kind of apply value investing principles to specifically dividend stocks now but a lot of value investing principles for for growth stocks now just I don't want to be that guy that's like, it doesn't apply anymore, but honestly it doesn't in the sense of like zoom should not go up 400% with no earnings or anything. You know, it just, from a value perspective, it doesn't make sense. So trying to make uh, just logical sense out of it, it's just, it's, uh, it's not doable essentially. I was just going to ask like for, I'm glad you brought up zoom because for first companies like zoom and Tesla and you know, maybe you could argue the shop Amazon. Price, I guess, and yeah, Amazon. For stocks like that, that you could maybe classify as just falling under a, a let's, I don't want to use the word trend, maybe that's not accurate, but like for those stocks, it's quite obvious to even me that there's a lot of just behavioral value there just because of like the stocks going up because of actually like the behavior of people around that stock. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And sure. then there's actual tangible increase in the stock. Like they they release their Q3 reports or whatever. Right. So as an investor, like, do you, do you look at one of those and on paper, you know, they're both, if it goes up a lot behaviorally or a lot value wise, or actually monetarily it both in both scenarios, the value of the money goes up in the stock. What do you look at that? Like, have you, are you looking at those two things and investing in both of them with different strategies? Do you just, like you, you said, you just stick to one or do you actually try to hop on some of the hype, I guess you could say sometimes? Yeah, like, yeah, Griffin, so, like what's the thought process yeah. in buying like a BMO versus a Peloton versus a, you know, a DocuSign versus a, you know, a cannabis company? Like, you know, what's the evaluation like? Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that for hours. From a BMO perspective, let's say, I really just look, I, yeah, bank stocks, they're, they're a whole different beast. I look at assets, liquid assets, uh, how, much, how much debt they have issued out, bunch of things. That would be more of a value type of posi- reasoning, I should say, strategy that I go for for a bank stock. Let's say a, a hyper growth stock like Tesla, okay, that's just, crazy company from an actual value perspective there's no way uh, a technical value investor looks at that stock and is like yeah this this is worth this much in the market from a value it doesn't make sense right so Mm. i think for stocks like that you need first of all growth stocks what i always look at the most is just 
how quickly revenues are going up because at the end of the day they're not going to have any net income free cash flow is usually going to be null because they're just utilizing so much cash and borrowing more to grow i just look at how quickly the well that's just one of the preliminary things but how much revenue is going up quarter over quarter year over year because at the end of the day investors who are hopping on like the hype of tesla or whatnot are kind of looking at okay well what is the impact of tesla going to be five ten years down the line in relation to the the automotive industry and in relation to um, the market share that they're going to be able to go and capture in the us but also worldwide basically if you're following what i'm saying every company here is going to be a completely different analysis so it's really difficult to say uh, for uh for tech stocks and growth stocks. But um, yeah, if you wanna learn more about my different strategies based on different companies, I kind of just go into it as I'm analyzing different stocks on my channel. So that would be something I'd recommend looking at. But uh, yeah. That's kind of changing pace a little bit here. Um, yeah. What even got you even started investing in the, in, initially, right? I mean, cause you're, you're, you're a pretty young man. Like what, what kind of, you're like you're a clean cut, responsible guy, you work for the Canadian government, like what? You know, were you always like that in high school? Were you always seen as the responsible sort of like father of the group or maybe that's me inflecting on you? Uh, yeah, definitely not, uh, not in high school. Um, I started getting interested. I've kind of obviously been interested in investing and just money in general. Um, I've also kind of always been like an entrepreneur, but it's only in the past three, four, five years that I've really uh, honed in on, oh, okay, yeah, I, I do like entrepreneurship, I do like business, and investing is a way to massively grow your wealth over time. I'm not gonna hide it here, I, yeah, I like money, I like the idea of growing wealth, and yeah, that, that's something that's kind of always interested in me. No, I've never been sort of a fatherly figure, as you said, <laughs> in my friend group, it's never been, uh, no, it's never really been a characteristic, I guess, of mine. And, Actually, like I even said earlier, none of my friends actually ever asked me for. Uh, I can't believe that. That's crazy. Questions. So that's crazy. I I, yeah, I gotta I, I gotta know um, when it comes to like in, investing. This is something that's just been a burning question. If somebody came to you for like advice of what dollar amount should I have before I enter investing, do you think that somebody should be really spending their money first on investing in themselves and in their business? Uh, a lot of our people who listen are business owners. So do you think they should put that in there? Or yes. is, is there a time where you say, okay, now it's time to start investing in the market? Like, how would you, how would you balance that? Yeah, I would say there's never a specific time. Here's the most optimal time for you to start investing in the market. Here's kind of what I recommend people do. If you're a business, I'll, I'll speak in terms of like for business owners, since most of the people are listening to this podcast are business owners. What I would definitely do is, uh, first and foremost, it's the most boring thing of all time, but you need to have a savings account with, uh, so I'll only spend like two seconds on this, have a savings account with at least three to six months of your all your, your income or your expenses, I mean, just to cover for that. That's just no brainer. Uh, after that, I would say, if you, if you are really interested in investing, sure, it's always gonna be uh, beneficial to start investing as young as possible, even if it's 100, 200, 500 bucks a month that you're putting aside investing. And at the end of the day, even if you're not creating massive returns for yourself at the beginning, just the idea of being actively involved in that, learning how everything works, the terminology, becoming financially literate is going to pay dividends later on in life and in your, uh, in your investing career. But 
Uh, as you said, Amr, I if you're going to be a business owner, what I would say is invest as much as possible. Like if you're going to invest either a hundred bucks into the stock market or invest a hundred bucks into uh, some books or some new equipment for your for your business that's going to exponentially grow it, I would say go for that because at the end of the day, a hundred bucks like it's great over time it'll be worth like let's say a thousand but that a hundred dollars invested into your business or something could be worth a hundred thousand dollars later on uh and then the thing about compound interest too is compound interest works a lot more uh when you have larger sums of money right that's why it follows an exponential curve but if you're able to sort of hack your way to year 15 right because you already let's say your business is generating 150, 200,000 a year, and you're able to invest at the age of 25, 50K a year instead of 150 bucks from the age of 20, it's gonna eclipse the returns that you can get because you're already starting with a larger amount of capital. So, yeah, I would definitely say invest into your business as much as possible. Um, and it'll be more rewarding anyways. Like I, like we talked about in the last, uh, the last podcast, I had multiple businesses that ended up failing. Now I've really honed in on this whole YouTube business thing and real estate, Hmm. but you know, I've invested into equipment and all that. And that has created thousand X returns on my investments. So Hmm. I would say in order, it would be one savings to your business, three investing and just kind of 2.2.5, like invest as you're investing in your business, just to understand how everything works. I know Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey swears by the six month rule, like the six month expense rule. Like it's you need just to have smart, six months honestly. Yeah. A lot of Dave Ramsey's stuff I don't agree with, like credit cards and not leveraging yeah. uh, your money into real estate deals. Obviously the guy has a lot more experience than me, but you know, real estate, like leveraging your money 20X, on a real estate deal, like your net worth mm. just goes up by tens and tens of thousands of dollars every deal you do if you buy an undermarket deal. Mm. That's something we can talk about. Uh, yeah, what, what real estate deals through, are you but, doing? How are you involved in real estate? Uh, yeah, so I um, currently, we I just sold uh, my first duplex from that I purchased last year, about one year ago. Uh, for a great return, the market right now is just insane. So I, I just decided it would be a good time to sell. It ended up being a great decision, in my opinion. And now, last week just closed on a fourplex in Gatineau. Uh, so that's really awesome. Two of the units are vacant. So we're doing um, like rental applications right now, which, by the way, is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> It's like overwhelming. Like it's insane. This Rental rate. applications for yeah, because you're now a, a landlord, right? That's the difference. Yeah, straight yeah. up. But like, I'm not even doing. I posted it at 10:30 p.m. What are we today? We're Tuesday, so at 10:30 p.m. on are we Tuesday? Yeah, 10:30 p.m. on Sunday. I think I have 150 rental applications. I'm not even joking. Like it's insane. Oh, like I had to turn God. it off because it was like people were anyways. Good problem to have, uh, but yeah, so yeah. that, and then I live in a duplex right now, and I'm in the process of buying a house that I'm hopefully gonna be able to move into within the month, so. The duplex yeah. that you live in now, you you also own that, correct? Yeah, yeah, I own that. So you're doing this with so, a house hack kind of thing? I'm doing the house hack thing, which I think is awesome. People should do it if they can, um, but uh, I just wanted a bigger space, kind of, especially, at, 
yeah, my girlfriend and I, like, we just wanted more space. So we're like, you know what, whatever, I'll just buy a house. We'll each have our offices. Did you invest in um, the stock market or did you invest in real estate uh, first? Stock market, for sure. Uh, Stock market investing I've been doing for five-ish years. Um, Obviously, when I was younger, though, I didn't have that much money to to play with. Um, But um, I would say, yeah, start, start investing in the stock market first because you'll be able to uh, to create some essentially like what you can do is just invest up to even a down payment if that's something yeah. you want to do um is that yeah. what you did so you so you started off by the sounds of what, you, what you're saying is that you started off with building that six-month buffer and the reason for building that six-month buffer i imagine is because that 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 prevents you from going into unnecessary debt correct Exactly. I mean, you just never know right now what's going on. I've had friends who like lost their jobs, not anymore, like they've got it back and stuff. But like at the beginning of COVID and stuff, it's like literally in January, no one, the, the markets were at all time highs. Everyone's like, Woo-hoo, everything's great. And then from Monday to the next, like people are losing their jobs and stuff. So it's just, it's just important. Like well, I guess it's fiscally a, responsible. Like if you're going to invest in the stock market and you don't have any money saved up on the side, I'm sorry, it's just dumb. Like in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you're in a pretty yeah. vulnerable state, I would imagine. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess when when COVID hit, I mean, you know, because with you having as many sources of income as you do, by the sounds of you have an extremely stable job working for the Canadian government. Plus you have this six month buffer. You have these different streams of income. I imagine when COVID hit, you were like, okay, no problem. I prepared for this, right? What was kind of going through your head when that first happened? Yeah, um, yeah, it, it didn't really affect me all that much. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not, no, I'm not saying that because, that, yeah, um, everyone's situation is different, you know. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have, yeah, things set up in my life where it didn't affect me all that much, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but yes, yeah, so I work for the government right now. That's like. But that wasn't by accident, well, that's what I wanted to point out. Pardon me? Like, well, what I wanted to point out, though, and kind of show to our viewers was that that wasn't by accident. Like, it, like when, when COVID hit and you were like, oh, okay, I'm fine, mm-hmm. that wasn't just a fluke. Like, it seemed like you were, like, the fact that you're an investor and you've been strategically placing yourself, you know, as far as your personal finance is concerned, you were well John, prepared John cut that. off there, but I get his point. He's saying, well, the fact that you're an investor and that you're using all these... Um, you know, these belief systems that you have developed. Yeah. Uh, when co- something like COVID hits, you, you're not only mentally prepared, but you're fiscally responsible, like you said. And so what John is just pointing to is that this wasn't by accident. Yes, you were fortunate. Yes, you know, all of us here are, are privileged with some manner and we have been blessed in different ways. But at the same time, we didn't blow that up into smoke, right? Like we, we kind of um, went, went through that. So do, do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I mean, yes, like you just said, we were fortunate to, to have the, this whole situation not be um, as detrimental to us. Uh, oh, he's back. No, not, I think he's back. Anyways, um, well, what was I saying here? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah, you need to plan ahead for unforeseen events. And of course, if I wasn't um, fiscally responsible and I didn't have those savings and Pretty much every move in my life right now is calculated to a certain degree as well. Like I'm working mm-hmm. for the government right now. Is it my dream job forever? No, definitely not. But mm-hmm. early 20s, good salary, stability, uh, able to apply Crazy for a benefits. bunch of loans. Crazy benefits. Oh man, yeah, I was, I was out uh, a few weeks ago playing golf with Griffin and, and we were joking that for the both of us, 
COVID and the effects of it with people having to be at home actually benefited both of us substantially because you could work from home now and not have to commute in and actually do like, I think at one point you said you were doing like 5.30, so you could be home by 1.30 working on your videos and stuff, which is insane. Like, and, and now I get to do like, same for me, I don't have to be in Montreal, I can be here. And so it's like, anyway. Yeah, like, so that's true. And that's actually something I've never really talked about, like on the air or whatnot, but when I... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, like it's totally <laughs> fine. It's just, yeah, right like, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, like what I mean is people, I don't really talk about my personal life all that much at all on YouTube, but like, it's, it's fine, you know? Um, people only see like certain end results or whatnot, but yeah, behind the scenes, uh, all of last winter, the past year, so like the past year before COVID hit, um because i wanted to grow up my grow my business so much and also i was working on this other business but regardless right because i wanted to work on my businesses um but i still had a full-time job and i had to go to the office and commute and stuff yeah i was getting up at 4 15 going into the office for 5 30 coming back at for two and then working until about 10 i did that for a year straight and it was horrible but but now like you just said, John, before it cut out there, uh, yeah, I was planning for, I didn't know there was going to be something like that, but I was just, you need to put in the work essentially and be fiscally responsible. Can you guys hear me now? Like that, that's what was, because yep. yeah, I remember yeah, when I was, yeah, when I was talking, you were like, giving me a weird face and I was, <laughs> I wasn't sure what was going on there. Yeah, we're good. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, all I was trying to say before I was cutting out there was, um, uh, that you were prepared, like you were, you know, you went into that and you were unaffected because you had been previously saving, right? Versus which is sort of what I was asking you earlier. It's like, you know, what kind of, like what kind of inspired you or even got you down that path versus being the guy, you know, like, you know, making good money. Why don't you have a BMW and rather than a duplex, why don't you have a, you know, a 20 foot ceiling penthouse, right? Why are you choosing to, I guess in this case, be smart? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, human nature, it, it, you, as soon as you make money, it's really tempting to go and spend it. I, I kind of, now I'll struggle with that a bit more. Not really, but like my family says I'm the cheapest guy of all time. Okay, like, <laughs> like literally the cheapest guy of all time. And they're not wrong, you know, things that are, I'm frugal for some things and not for others. Um, you know, clothes and stuff to me, that's something. So actually, you know what, let me, let me step back a second. Uh, before I started really being interested in investing and planning for the future, Yo, I, I mean, like most people, I had no money. I, I was 18. I'd go out to, uh, I'd go out to the mall, and you know, I'd make 15 bucks an hour, and we'd go spend a hundred dollar meal, and I'd buy jeans every week. But you know, that's normal, and it's oh, also I had like a car that I modified a ton, like huge waste of money, but. It kind of like I learned. Amber don't smile so big when he says that. I kind of learned through. Doing I want to know that. what model it was. <laughs> yeah, it was a 2002 GTI um, oh, Mark IV. It was awesome. I loved it. I never regret selling it. And the guy I sold it to trashed it. But anyways, oh, yeah, like <laughs> uh, whatever, right? Um, but my point being in all that that if I hadn't done that, maybe I would be spending all the money now. You know, but I kind of realized like if I continue down this path oh, I am moving out of my parents' house. Like, they don't want to support me anymore. If I continue blowing all my money, I'm going to be working a job I don't like until I'm 65. And that's really the most motivating, the most motivating factor above any other type of, like you said, John, houses and nice cars. It's just 
I don't want to go into an office now. Who knows if that'll still be a reality, but that just, mm-hmm. oh man. Did not well, it seems like you value freedom. Yeah, and I think, you know, freedom, you guys are all business owners as well. Quitting your job and doing your own business is freedom in the sense of like, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But I mean, once I quit my job, inevitably at some point, uh, I'm going to be working 12, 15 hour days, you know, but like, it's okay because it's something that I enjoy doing. And hopefully I'll be able to build out my portfolio to a point where when I'm in my forties ish, I'll be able to say, Hey, I want to go on vacation for a month and mm-hmm. it'll be okay. That's really kind of my goal. I just want to be able to, uh, enjoy life with my girlfriend my family and friends. This kind of leads to my next question actually perfectly. So I was going to ask your opinions on the fire movement, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. It's not something I really what is follow it? What is all it? that much. Yeah, John, uh, explain it for Amher. Uh, well, it stands for financially independent retire early, yeah. and it's 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 sort of a, a pretty. I think it's a pretty large movement. Although it might be one of those things where you know it, it, that's just what's being funneled my way. Um, but it seems to be something that you know uh, people like Griffin, like ourselves, who are you know making good money, you know investing our money, buying real estate. Uh, are just choosing to quote unquote retire early, right? Or just, you know, no longer need the need for money, you know, or need to earn income actively. Mm, makes sense. I've had a, a actually, yeah. it, what? It, it, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go for it. Yeah, okay. I, I was just gonna say, I've had a, uh, like a, a, a new viewer watch one of our episodes and she messaged me and she's like, it seems like all you guys and all your guests are like very greedy people who are like really only care about money and driven and driven by money. But I'm like, no, 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 we're not, we're not money, we're not money driven. You know, not at all. We're not money driven. We're freedom driven. Like that's what yeah. we're actually yeah. Right up. For. Yeah. So. If I want to take a vacation one day, like at the end of the day, no matter what people say, and yes, I, I understand what she's saying because. The average person, I'm not saying that she's average, that's not what I meant, but like most people when they oh, think she's of money. Average. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah, yeah the, but the average person, like when they think of money, they instantly think like, oh, this guy is a money-oriented prick. But no, it's yeah. because to me, if I want to be able to, yeah, take, take that vacation, go buy an Audi or whatever, like, I just want to be able to do that. Like I want to live life to its fullest and be able to have different experiences. And at the end of the day, in a capitalist society, like that's that's what it is. Like end of story. Well, it seems like, um, you know, the way that you're doing it is just more sustainable. You know, like I imagine, you know, when you're, you know, whatever age you decide, you know, I'm going to start pulling back on the frugality and I'm going to start, you know, living it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I imagine that it'll just be a lot more sustainable than the, you know, guys that are blowing their money now. Because, of course, there'll be a point where, oh, I have to continue making active income to maintain this lifestyle, whereas you're looking like you're kind of building this separate sort of portfolio, right, which could potentially could pay for your lifestyle or you know that audi or whatever car that you want yeah that's i mean that's the exact goal and to uh to loop back to your initial question john about the whole fire movement like i said i don't follow it all that much because my interpretation of it is people who are just like work 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 to get to this portfolio that's able to like yield a certain percent per year and then blah blah blah, you get off it look i'm not interested in living off of $9,000 $9,000 a year of, of, of uh, like dividends and stuff. And so to me, that's not really interesting. I'm more interested in actually working on like, 
the thing is that people who are following the fire movement, they're like work, work, work for 15 years and then build up this portfolio to then kind of have no plan after. That's kind of like a kind of how mm-hmm. I interpret it versus yep. I'm okay with working. Like I enjoy working if it's on something that I like doing. I love analyzing real estate deals. I love doing YouTube videos, talking with people. And that's not to say that in 15 years, I'm going to be doing YouTube videos, like probably not, but it'll evolve into some other project that I'm passionate about. So I don't see myself as uh, ever being like, I just want to retire and do nothing anymore. Like I love working. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like your active sources of income, you enjoy doing them. And so you're like, yeah, I'm good with this, but you're, but you're ultimately taking your active sources of income and you're putting them into more passive sources as well to yes. kind of have like that, would you call it a buffer, I guess? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the strategy that I'm utilizing right now. I'm taking the money, putting it into stock portfolio as well as real estate. Yeah. And that's actually one thing we spoke about on the last episode you were on when we were talking about kind of the glam behind the term passive source of income and you explicitly said you were like, well, if at any point, if it becomes passive, it would have at one point had to be extremely active. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't and remember so, saying that. Yeah. That is so <laughs> and true. so it's just it people keep fla- flaunting this term of passive source of income. And well, at what point does it become worth it to be passive as opposed to continuing it to be active? And when you made that video that you released, I don't know, maybe a few months ago at this point, the, the six sources of income sure. uh, that you have that you were explaining. And I, I, I know that you said originally on there that you were, I think it was when you released it, you were like, wasn't necessarily something I would have done, but a lot of people were asking for yeah, it. Yeah. And I think uh, it's great that you did it because it was really interesting. And what I what I gained from it was, well, you don't have six passive sources of income. They're all active. Like they're yeah. all very active for yeah. you in terms of what you're working on. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is a, go for so it, this go. is a really random question, but I'm just so curious. Um, the fact that you have a YouTube channel that has a pretty substantial following does that affect your dating life at all? You know, cause like some girl maybe gonna go on a date with you and she like just looks you up and then all of a sudden YouTube videos pop up and then all she's like, oh, six sources of income. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, I haven't been- I already have the honeys on the first date being like, so. I, no, no, I've been, uh, I've been with uh, my girlfriend Sophie now for four years. We've been with uh, okay, for Sophie. Yeah, and there's no uh, no intention whatsoever of uh, leaving that relationship. Nice. So, How many subscribers <laughs> does your YouTube channel have? Uh, I'm gonna hit fifty thousand this week. Whoa! I'm, yeah. uh, and I'm one of them. Yeah, there so, you go. There I'm you gonna go. go subscribe right now. Royalty checks in the mail, John. Let's there you go. go. <laughs> if you're listening to this, go subscribe. Griffin Mills YouTube. Yeah. yeah, you won't be disappointed. Hey listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Weekly Call. We just have a quick yet very important message for all of you. The three of us are currently actively in pursuit to find young, ambitious, and like-minded people that are interested in business management and business ownership roles. Roles that three to five years ago put Austin, Ammer, and John in a place where they could learn, grow, and optimize their discipline and habits. These positions are available all across Canada, so it doesn't matter if you're in Victoria, British Columbia, or St. John's, Newfoundland there is an opportunity where you are located. If you are interested in working directly with Amher, Austin, and John and learning what it takes to run an efficient and scalable business, please drop us a line at theweeklycallpod at gmail.com, all one word, for more information. Now back to this episode of The Weekly Call. Um, I want to go back to uh, just quickly the real estate things that you had mentioned because 
I, I know you mentioned that you're now in the, well, you just sold the fourplex or you just bought the fourplex and sold the duplex. Uh, and the fact that you're in the, you were currently living in the fourplex that you're house hacking. And just so we're, everybody's on the same page, all our listeners, house hacking just means that, you know, you're living in a multi-unit property so that the income of the other rental units, you know, cover your mortgage enough where you can essentially just live there for free or even in the best case profit off of the rent. Well, if you're a real mortgage. savage, you might not even have a multi-unit. You might be renting the bedrooms out in your house if you're, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're, yeah. You might yeah. even be an extra savage. Go for it. Well, so I can see how a quadplex would be cash flow positive, right? But where's your duplex? Mm-hmm. It was still? Yeah, so... So, because you were living in up, one and you had the one rent? Right? Yeah. Okay. We're okay. mixing up a couple of things. Okay. So, I had two duplexes oh, okay. and a fourplex. I sold one of the duplexes. When, when you had the one duplex for the first time, did you live in that one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, CRA. Yes, he did. Yes. Uh, no, but, um, I mean... All taxes were paid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But so I'm just curious to know, cause I was, this was what I, you know this from me texting you about 87 times in, in seven weeks about buying a house and trying yeah. to buy one that was cash flow positive for the, for the potential of maybe renting out the basement or renting out a bedroom or whatever the case may be. Um, I was having a very hard time doing so in that kind of COVID market initially. So I wanted to know like when you had your duplex mm-hmm. or maybe even like before you got the second duplex, what were you doing on your first real estate deal to make it as cash flow positive as possible for you to make it worthwhile as like a first time real estate investor? Yeah. Um, so I'll be honest, like that first deal, it kind of just fell into place. Okay. Uh, like, in the, well, yeah, so <laughs> that sounds it's, ridiculous. Yeah. No, like I, had an agent I just, I was walking down the street and then the duplex just <laughs> fell in my lap. Yeah. So I was walking down the street and yeah, this guy just said, I was selling my duplex for a uh, Anyways, no, so, okay. First and foremost, like everyone who's interested in real estate investing in Canada, go read the book, Real Estate Retirement Plan. It sounds like it's not just about retirement. Like it's just, it'll give you the basics of how to invest in real estate and why it's beneficial. That book is probably like, what is it? A $20 book that's made me tens and tens and tens of thousands from that one Mm. book, you know? So real estate retirement plan.ca. Yeah. By Callum Ross. Ross. Callum Ross. Great book. Um, anyways, where I'm going with that is I read that I was interested in it, uh, got a real estate agent. He, I told him my criteria, this is how much money I have to start investing, which wasn't much at the time, found the deal. I literally went, I was working at the government and during lunch I went and like, he's like, you need to come see this right now. During lunch, I went, looked like a total dive. Uh, and he was like, yo, you'll be able to do this, this, this renovation. It'll bring up the rent. Uh, and then that's, yeah, that's what I did. I started with $9,100, 5% down payment. Wow. It cost 182,000. Um, and it was cash flowing after I for raised a full the duplex. Yeah. For a full duplex. But like, let me be real. That's John who's in Kelowna wants to cry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But let me be real. Like that's. <laughs> Um, Amber, who's in Toronto, man. Well, that's absolutely unheard yeah. of, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Even for this yeah, one, yeah, that yeah. was a free Amber's like, that's my down payment. That's my 5% down. One that's, yeah. Literally, yeah. duplex is 1.8 million in Toronto. I know, I know. Like, I'm Jesus. not even kidding. 
Yo, you got honestly, man. You have no excuses. You got, uh, you got Austin. Guys, come on and live with me in Elmer. I was gonna say, I think we gotta start using Austin as our partner. Yeah, you can wire transfer money to me. I'm gonna tape a GoPro to my chest as I'm. <laughs> Any investment you make in Elmer, that's that's actually, what you, you know say. Actually, you know what though? That's actually a really good point though. Like, I, I just want to just point that out because like, here's me yeah. in Kelowna, and I'm Straight out here up. bitching and complaining because I'm like, you know, to buy a half yep. duplex is about half a million. Although they actually do cash flow in Kelowna, so like, that's not. I'm not too worried about that. But I was thinking to myself, nice. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should be, you know, linking up with Austin, right? Like, why am I not doing that? Why not, right? I mean, yeah, so yeah. many people have commented that on my videos because I have made videos for each of my properties breaking mm. down numbers. People are like, yo, that doesn't work here, that doesn't work there. <laughs> and you're like, it's here though. No, no, but here's what I'm saying. It's like, are you just gonna sit on the sidelines and yeah. afford, like, yeah. sad, you know, bitching? Yeah. Or are you gonna network and and meet people across the so country true. in a better market? So like, true. What, option A or option B? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And option C is sitting on the couch. So like, what are you yeah. gonna do? That's kind of how yeah, I see it. Yeah. I guess that's one of those um, things where it's like, why didn't you get into real estate? Oh man, I lived in Kelowna. Yeah, like it just makes no <laughs> sense. And even like for business, like people yeah. have told me multiple, ah, oh, you were lucky about this, you were lucky about that, or this and that. It's yeah. like, yo, was I lucky when I was getting up at 4 a.m. Yeah. and wow. going to bed? Like, no, yeah. man, for a year. Yes, there's luck associated with everything, but it's like, mm. had you not even done that, Mm-hmm. Door A to door A B to door A B C wouldn't have opened, and like your life would just be drastically mm-hmm. different. Like, mm-hmm. anyways, um, so about the whole real estate thing, yeah, I sold that place. It was cash flowing four fifty a month on a nine thousand one hundred dollar investment, and then we just sold it for two hundred and fifty thousand essentially. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Less than a year later. So, so on, so on a on a twenty x leverage, what was your? <laughs> What was yeah, your it was a return 400% on investment? return on investment. In how many years? Uh, it was like months. 10 months. Yeah, Yeah, 9, 10 months. 10 months. Right. Are you coming to Elmer, John, or what? What's going Some, on? Yeah, I know. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, the market it is completely, it's drastically different now than it was a year ago. But even now, right? Like, um, I look at deals every day like it's part of my morning routine i just look on the mls i look at all that and i talk to my agent about different like potential off-market deals that's never like really (laughs) gone anywhere but anyways i look every day and you know like in the past year i have only wanted to buy that fourplex because it made sense for like equity on the buy and all that like everything else is crazy but it's like just learn how to um analyze the deal, see what you're looking for. As young guys like us buying undervalued properties, raising the rents, like the second you close on the property, your net worth will go up by like mm-hmm. 50 grand depending on the property mm-hmm. because like it's worth that in the market and you're paying way less. So anyways, we can, maybe if I do a part three, we can go into that in more mm-hmm. detail, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, totally. I think that's where a lot of our listeners uh, are interested mostly is, is real estate because uh, if it's anything because if it's anything along the lines that I see it through is that real estate to me seems like something like I was saying to you when I was trying to buy a property, I I like it more because it's more tangible, it's more hands-on, I have more control. And I understand that the market may crash just like it could in the stock market, but when I'm looking at my investment portfolio and I'm looking at like Tesla and 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 these random ETFs and I'm just like, you know, I can't go and flip them if I wanted to, you know, like it's just, there's not as much perceived control. So I, I think that's a lot of what people are interested in when they listen to this. So it might be worth it. Yeah. 
it's also a lot more work. Like, you yes. know, I make it sound easy in two seconds we're talking about. It. No, I mean, I was on my hands and knees changing yes. floors and patching walls, but like, was yeah. it worth it? Yes, yeah. essentially, yeah. most of the viewers here are student works painters. So like, mm -hmm. you're, you're used to yeah. getting your hands dirty anyways. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, painting is the one activity that increases the value of the property the most. Like straight Absolutely. up, it's dollar, actually yeah, big. For sure. Yeah, yeah uh, John, like you, you, what you were saying? Yeah, go for it, John. I actually John. forgot what I was going to say already, so it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> a month no ago, I was out having dinner with Austin here, and we we're talking. I, he put on his story this uh, property up in Chelsea, and I was like, "Man, that property! Just the paint job you did looks like it's worth a hundred thousand dollars more. Yeah, like literally, because." especially for a house more than a rental property people for houses it's all based on emotion like oh, 100%. it's like when you go to the store it's like the branding of the place mm -hmm. like you know, the branding of one product mm -hmm. can look like crap mm -hmm. and the other one looks amazing you'll pay five times more for it yeah and i've actually this year partnered with a real estate firm in, in chelsea so that it's it's kind of like a more friendly agreement than having them on retainer, but it's almost like a th validated third party. Cause when I'm, or, or John is sitting in estimates yeah. and we're telling our clients that they're kind of like, sure, you know, but when they hear from real estate agents that <laughs> yeah. like the houses they get painted yeah. sell like this, they're like, it's actually really, a really good you know? point. Yeah. I have a, I have yeah. a letter um, from a real estate agent. I mean, it was a deal. Cause I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to show yeah. every one of my estimates, yes, this, yeah. this, this yeah. thing of you, it's like good value for her, but then it's also <laughs> yeah. like a little write up, you know, she's a professional real estate agent in town saying, yeah, painting increases the value. So I'm like, Hey, yeah. here's validation 100%. on my part. Also, if you're selling your house, here's, you know, yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's nice. So John, have you started like, what's your plan? investing wise because you you had a bunch of questions for me throughout the mm -hmm. podcast about like stock investing all that talk to me yeah so i mean i mean the, the way i look at it is that um you know i have a i own a business that has tremendous cash flow um however it's not a growth company okay um like my company is not like zoom where it's gonna you know shoot up in value a thousand percent right because sure. yeah, yeah. because it's it's you know it's, it's it's just not it's not a company that would do that right i mean uh, painting businesses are tremendous cash flow they're not really worth much so there's not much equity in that business you know no matter how much yeah. i do um and i'm definitely at that point now where my income has grown substantially enough where you know even though i can reinvest in the business the returns are getting lower, right? Like I didn't okay. invest much for the last four years. Whereas now that the cash flows are where I want them to be, certainly the goal is to transition the cash flow from my painting business and then reinvest it into the stock market currently. Um, and then I, I own a condo, but I wouldn't really consider this much of an investment. This is this was definitely on the on the luxury side, but there's a really complicated reason for that because my i have a corporation versus my personal wealth so this is a personal yeah, asset yeah. whereas all my money is actually in the corporate side so there's a there's rationale for that as well yeah i actually want to comment on something you just said there which comes back to kind of people asking me all the time you know what should i do strategy wise and all this right so at the beginning of the podcast we talked um amber asked me would you invest what would be the order of, of your investing? Would you start in saving or investing or investing in your business, all that? So John, like what you just said, your particular situation, it made more fiscal sense to reinvest your money back into the growth of your painting business for year one, two, three, four. And then now that you're, you're just, you need to look at your own scenario and your own life and your own sources of income and then say, okay, for me, like critical thinking here, <laughs> 
if I reinvest more money into my business, like you just said, I have known nothing about painting. But if you're saying that the return on investment won't be as great now that my business kind of plateaued a bit, it'll be more beneficial to invest in equity markets or in real estate over yeah. your painting business. So, but that's just a prime example of what I was kind of saying earlier. Like when people ask me like, what's a cookie cutter model to do? It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah. it needs to be, you need yeah. to kind of, you just need to start becoming financially literate mm-hmm. and then applying it to your own life. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually really like what you said though, because it's it actually is like I mean, there's a loose roadmap I think that you've outlined, which yeah, it's sure. But like you for specific stuff, it's like like you, obviously you want to have a source of income, okay? And once you have a source of income, you you, you know you're gonna want to set aside some money, like you said, and I, I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in that as well, because. Yeah, you really don't want to get forced into debt, okay? Because when you're forced into debt, that's where you get the credit card fees, and no one's getting an 18% annual return unless you're Warren Buffett, right? So you don't want to go into He's credit not. card debt. You don't want to be financing yeah. things. Um, yeah, so I mean, having the six month buffer, I mean, also, I don't know if you can speak on this too, Griffin. I mean, the psychological benefit of having that six months, I find like I'm a pretty, I'm a very anxious person, and having money in the bank just, I just sleep easier, right? It just, it's just, it's just 100%. nice. You open your account nice. and you see your, your six months or whatever it is. Like, yeah, absolutely. But it's even something. owning a condo, not having, knowing that no one can force me to move. I'm like, sweet. Right. Like I'm secure. Yeah. That's definitely another. No one's raising uh, my rent. That's true. No one's except raising for fees, man. Watch out for those I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, for sure. That's definitely something um, I think more people should strive to do. Like just take it day by day. You know, all four of us here, we're like very interested in growing our portfolios, wealth over time and stuff. But the reality is the average person, you just, you know, you don't need to be as passionate as me about all this stuff. Just it can take time to build up your six months. Like there's no prescribed age of oh, at this age you need to have x dollars in the bank or whatnot no just like do your thing you know um it, some people are happy with being renters or whatnot depending on your situation maybe you have an amazing landlord but having that six months is is just the best for sure well I, although I, i'm pretty skeptical about a lot of that like anytime someone's like no i'm happy being a renter or you know my favorite ones when like the whole greed comment that amory you'd pointed out anytime someone says oh i don't care about money that's not it i'm always like bullshit like what's beyond like i've never met a single person i don't care who they are that doesn't actually like care about money anyone who says mm-hmm. that I, I i think that it's just a story they tell themselves yeah if, if you give that person right. money, yeah. they'll turn into just, they'll turn into the greedy person they, they still claim not mm-hmm. to want to be, right? Actually, yeah. Like someone who hasn't built their foundation though uh, of knowledge, you give them a bunch of money though, they actually probably wouldn't be turned into a greedy person because to me, a greedy person is someone who like holds on to their money and mm-hmm. like tries to build it up. They probably just go out and get bottle service. And like shit. a gluttonous person. Like somebody that's just trying <laughs> yeah. to like, Yeah, 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 I guess so. I, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like, you know, in our society, yeah, kind of bullshit. Like everyone's interested mm-hmm. in money, like no matter what you tell yourself. Like, but you know, I mean, I don't know if you face this at all from your friends or family or, you know, maybe just even people that you're meeting. It's uh, money tends to be like a fairly taboo topic for some reason. I've never really felt that way personally, at least with, uh, with my friend, um, well, with myself and just like, obviously I think it's taboo for we talk about people. it, but like, you know, when I talk to my friends about money and my family, like nobody wants to hear it. 
Uh, well, yeah, but talking personal. about personal. Yeah, but in my Sorry, opinion, John, what did you say? I didn't hear dude, you. Dude, you gotta listen to what he's just no, said. Honestly, to this. like for broke people. <laughs> oh, no, but, no, no, but seriously, though, no, 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 straight no, up. No, 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 no. No, I'm I'll be that. For broke, broke Austin, people. no, dude, I will 100% prove my point here. And I'm totally willing okay. to be like John the asshole here. Fitness <laughs> is taboo for fat people, okay? And talking about money is taboo for broke people, okay? And discipline is ta- taboo for, you know, for people that are indulgent. Like, it's just straight up. Anytime someone's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, I'm like, that's gold. Really? Because as far as I know, humans tend to be pretty egotistical. And so the fact you don't want to talk about this, it it might affect your ego a little bit if we talk about something you're incompetent at. So no, anytime someone, yeah. I love that. Absolutely love that. Probably has some truth to it. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it yeah, I think also it's a generational thing as well. And, you know, you go back 40 years, no one talked about money. I think. But they were the same people, though. Told, I wasn't around 40 years Those ago, same but. people who didn't want to talk about money were forced to talk about money when, when Serb came out. Yeah. Because all yeah, of a sudden no, it's like totally everyone right. looked around and was like. Fo- yeah, it folds right back into our conversation that we started off this podcast with, with being prepared. And yeah, we. Yeah. We, uh, we released an episode two weeks ago about this, uh, and it was, I don't know if you saw it, it was titled, uh, Failing to Prepare is Preparing to Fail. So, I mean, just kind of applying that to what we spoke about with you, I mean, it's it's not taboo to get up at 4 a.m. and go work a 40-hour week job so you can come home and work on a business that you're growing on the side. That isn't taboo. Well, the second you have that conversation with your friends when you're having a beer at a nightclub. It's like, it's a taboo conversation, man, because... Yeah, and John, you were saying this to me uh, on the episode we recorded on Sundays that I we're, I forget what we were talking about, but I felt the need to rationalize mediocrity. Mm. Do you remember that? Yes. Perfectly so, so but, but no, but it, it, and then it stemmed from the conversation of like, well, you're like sometimes you have to really I'm not convince unhealthy. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to do... Uh, uh, I think this sober will actually October. come up before our next episode, but yeah, we're, we're planning a sober October challenge. Okay. And so for me, that's working out every day, eating healthy, no booze, no, no drinking for 30 days. And John was like, okay, like we don't really, Amber and I don't really have a problem with that. So we should do something else. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not cause I'm unhealthy. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa it's not what I'm saying. Like, you don't need to rationalize yourself. So it's like, if people talk, if you talk to people about money, then they feel like, well, why would I need to talk about money? I'm not broke. And John, I just want to redefine like what you said, financial literacy, talking about that. Sure, it might be taboo for broke people in finger quotations, but I don't really think it's taboo for broke people. I think it's taboo for people that are uncomfortable with the fact that they're not doing as much as they know they could be doing. And yeah, it's good not point, just good for point. broke people. Like people, the majority, maybe if somebody's broke, they actually want to know what they can do. Look, you know, I'll, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just say this. <laughs> Uh, my family, extended family, we're not, no one is broke, mm-hmm. quote unquote broke, mm-hmm. but they still don't like talking about it. Same thing for yeah, me, fair enough. like, end of story. They all have great it, houses. It's a broke mindset. It's, it's the, um, yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that maybe, but, uh, Well, okay, here, I, I, I have, I have a question for you, Griffin. So, I actually do invest with a financial advisor, and I, I want to get your, your thoughts on, on this argument, sure. and, and let me know, like, I, I want you to call me out if you think that this is just complete crap. So my logic for investing, because like I hear all the, I, I read all the counter arguments, right, about 
the high fees and whatnot. But ultimately, sure. it's the it's the actual return that you get that matters the most, right? And so, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you're getting a, a you know a ten percent annual return with with your advisor after all fees, it doesn't really matter what the fees are, right? Like, yeah. Like your sure. royalty with StudentWorks only matters if you don't make enough money, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. making more money with StudentWorks than if you're on your own, who really cares, right? So there's that aspect to it. I'm like, okay, fine. But yeah. one of the big things, and, and maybe this is me getting sold by my advisor, but one of the big things that I was like, you know what, that, that offers value for me is contribution amount. Because one of the interesting stats that I read behind people who do it themselves is that they just don't end up actually doing it. Right. Okay. They, 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 they might get higher returns in quotations because they bought, you know, some penny stock or something like that. Like a good example was I, there was this company called Patriot One Technologies that I had bought okay. like a long time ago. And I had like some crazy return, but I only had like a thousand dollars invested. Right. Yeah. Whereas my returns now are more in that 10 percent range. But I just have significantly more money invested because I'm not like I wouldn't perf- personally feel comfortable investing in single stocks because Obviously, I'm not doing the level of research that you are. So, of course, I wouldn't feel as comfortable. Well, with an advisor, I feel accountable. So every two weeks, like I have to meet him this Friday, every two weeks I meet with him and Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like a loser. So I'm bringing money with my, you know, I'm bringing money every single time I meet this guy. And so there's an accountability level there that I wouldn't have with myself potentially. You know, that's a good point. Um, I don't think everyone is... John, though, meeting with their, their financial advisor bi-weekly, that's definitely something that I don't think is common practice. And at the end of the day, it comes back to individual situations as well. Like, I know I'm kind of a broken record about that, but you maybe your financial advisor is awesome. I mean, he, he is great. He's qualified. He invests himself. I just know from fact multiple individuals that I've known over the years who are financial advisors who don't even invest themselves and they don't have any money. So it's like, what the heck is that, you know? And I've also seen Mm. returns from people who have sent me photos of their returns uh, from certain institutions, not going to name any names, but it's like during the the bull run that we just experienced uh, prior to the crash, I'm talking mediocre returns of like 25% when even if you just invested in the S&P 500, you would have got a couple hundred percent return. So it's yeah, just like, yeah. again, it just depends on, on the individual themselves. The accountability thing, I like that. Uh, I'll be honest, like we were talking about the taboo thing earlier. To me, there's nothing really taboo about talking about money or working out or whatnot, but uh, working out, I have a really difficult time staying consistent so yeah maybe that's something that i would benefit from being accountable with an actual coach or something but um yeah the whole financial advisor thing i would just say again play it by ear meet with a couple people if you're not able to do it yourself uh so be it but i guess everything's situational i think it's just in my opinion, with the amount of ETFs, there's hundreds of ETFs available. That's the easiest way of investing. Like you're just straight up lazy if you're not willing to take a couple hours to just learn about what ETFs are and invest in like three funds. Like you can't get easier than that. Mm. And you'll still get great returns. That's my opinion. My, my eyebrows were raised earlier when um, you mentioned this example of the duplex and a 400% okay. return. Sure. You don't get a 400% return on YouTube, and you're not going to get 400% return on stocks. So why not just go all in on real estate? 
Um, because real estate requires a lot of capital. So I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily at the point. So let me just pre-frame that 400% return sounds amazing, but when you're putting 5% down, that's why the return is so high, right? And I also 20... the time you put into it as well, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So like that was because I got a 400% return because it was low money down. Uh, I did strategic renovations and I was able to raise the rent and that I will say is one lucky factor of I did invest right before it completely took off like crazy in this region. But um, so, yeah, back to your question, though, why am I not going all in real estate? First of all, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that to me, the deals I'm, I'm interested in, I'm not just interested in buying any random place that's cash flow is three, four hundred bucks. I want to make sure that the place I'm buying is fifty, a hundred thousand dollars under what it's actually worth. And those don't come up every day. You know, it, it took me six months of research to find that fourplex. And I was like, now it's closed and it's like, what a steal. But now I have no idea when the next one is gonna be. That's basically one of the reasons why I'm not going all in on real estate. And um, honestly, you'd be surprised also at, uh, YouTube, but anyways, yeah, YouTube's not bad. I'll just seems like you're very there. diligent. Like you're you're like a professional in that sense. Like you take your time and you really analyze. It seems well. I mean, at least between the two, yeah. stocks and as well as. Sticker. I think we know what you're trying to say, John. There's a term that you're trying not oh, to use, but no, no. <laughs> I actually don't know. I actually don't know. He's he's yeah. a very he he avoids discounting, oh. right? God. That's he actually no. I, I actually he doesn't discount. He's very diligent. No, I think it's an inappropriate use of the delayed discounting. Yes. Exactly. I mean, in terms of he, he's definitely he's definitely not discounting the value of what he could otherwise spend his time <laughs> on. Griffin. Would be more indulgent, right? Do you know anyway, anything sorry. about delayed discounting? That, that so delayed discounting is essentially just a measure. No, 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 no. Stop. Stop. That's essentially it. Sorry. It's what my it's what my thesis is on. It's what my it's what my master's thesis is on. It's okay. actually like a measure of delaying gratification. Oh okay. God. So if you It's an are, inside joke on the podcast that yeah, every no, chance really, this guy gets, yeah, he has to talk about people. delayed yeah. discounting. So we it's have disgusting. shirts. It's, and, uh, it's whatever. It's vulgar. If we sell 100 shirts, we get to shave Aaron's head because he hates when I talk I about the shirt. I'll take a shirt. I'll buy Thanks. a shirt. See? Don't 11. buy the shirt. 11. Why would you waste 11. your 20 bucks? What are you doing? <laughs> Put that in Google Ads, man. Yeah, but no, I'm not in the ads yet. John, I was interrupting you saying something about diligence. Well, it just seems like you're a really diligent person. I mean, I think it, I think that it, it speaks volume to, to your success in, in investing, right? I mean, you know, people say, people might look at, oh, he got a 467% return and be like, oh, wow, like I need to go into real estate. But like they're they're totally forgetting the fact that you, I mean, you probably put, put a lot of effort and time into analyzing that deal and making sure that, I mean, even the, even your, your verbiage, strategic renovations, meaning as you knew the renovations, like you didn't buy the property and be like, wow, guys, let's, let's renovate this place. You knew going yeah. into it, I imagine, that, hey, you know For what, sure. guys? I'm going to renovate this. But then even that, it's like I imagine you read way too many books on real estate because you're like, you know what? Before I even buy a property, I'm going to know what I'm looking for because you don't just randomly like – it's not common – like strategic renovations. You don't just randomly think of that. Like you must have read somewhere, okay, guys, here's what you're looking for. This is it, right? For sure. I mean Groundwork. strategic renovation pretty much comes down to – which renovations aesthetically can I put the least money into to raise the most the value of the property? And that comes down usually to 
uh, inexpensive on-sale flooring, fresh coat of paint, uh, a couple other things like fixing up walls and stuff like that. And you'd be surprised at what difference that does. Just fresh coat of paint and changing the flooring, maybe changing like a vanity or something that costs like four or 500 bucks. And people feel like they're walking into an Ikea uh, magazine and they're like, I'll take it for mm -hmm. 20% above market. Yeah, the stainless steel appliances. That Literally, just stainless steel appliances are the same price as white appliances. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, I thought it froze. But anyways. The vinyl flooring, uh, that, like, that, like, that like off, like the off brown kind of vinyl flooring that everyone has, <laughs> right? The quartz countertop, right? Exactly <laughs> that. Quartz countertops, that is more expensive though, I'll be honest, and it's not something I've- He's uh, like, dude, I don't, I don't put that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't no, do that. Like, so you're learning a bunch of these things too about like strategic design and how to actually spend the most, or the least amount of money so that you can, you're learning, are you, did you like consult designers with that or did you? Um, my real estate agent is really freaking awesome. He, okay. uh, he like, if you wanna invest in units, like don't just go and grab any real estate investor who doesn't even own real estate. Mm. Like other than, like more than his house, I'm saying. Cause selling houses is all about just emotion and stuff, but buying properties that are for renting out uh, I would say get a real estate agent who actually has units and flips because then he knows he already has all the contacts too. <laughs> yeah. And he knows yeah. like, okay, that's a complete ginormous waste of money and this and that. So mm -hmm. anyways. What, what's your opinion on, so you're buying and renovating these on your own. What I've done with, with my, the, my real estate properties that I've purchased, I've made sure that there was management in place to manage okay. that for me. How come you don't have management? Yes, they take a fee, but what other counter argument would you give against having somebody managing your property? Well, do you mean managing like a general contractor managing the property manager or just property manager? So a property manager who would also manage the contractor and the okay. finances and the rent agreements and all that. Um, you know, to be honest, it's just because my business isn't large enough yet, in my opinion, 100%, even now, uh, the, the whole like, getting 150 rental applications, I'm completely overwhelmed and it's taking mental capacity on this minute task that's like, not quote unquote a waste of mm -hmm. time, but kind of, mm -hmm. where it's not a, mm -hmm. a high income producing uh, mm -hmm. task, like creating my videos and researching new deals and stuff. Right now, it's kind of just one of those things where it's not large enough yet, but absolutely, as I scale up my business uh, a bit more, I will 100% be outsourcing that, absolutely. Do you see awesome. uh, an impact based on uh, the amount of decisions that you dis you predispose yourself to having to make in one day? Sorry, repeat the question. Yeah. Like, do you think that there's a <laughs> negative impact on your pro um, efficiency, let's say, just as a, as a function of how many decisions you have to make in a day? Because it seems like you're doing all of this yourself. Yeah, it's and uh, and there's just something to be said for just reducing the amount fatigue. of decisions that you have to make mm -hmm. in a day. I because uh, I look at you and I'm like, man, there's must you're efficient, you're smart, you know what you're doing. Do you think there could be a higher return on that if you had to make less decisions? Yes, one hundred percent. I've always been someone who's been very hands on, and I like to do things mm -hmm. myself. But um, I'll be real, having you know, a job and a full-time YouTube thing as well as a, uh, as properties and all that. It's, it, yeah, yeah, it's overwhelming and it's that. getting to a point where 
It is stressful. Yeah, it's a lot of stress managing all that. And I, yeah, I need to mm-hmm. learn to uh, delegate a lot more. Um, so that's one of my main goals. Everyone here on the cha- on, oh, uh, on the podcast uh, writes goals and stuff. I already have all my goals set out for 2021. And as they come into my mind, I'll like, I, I have a big spreadsheet and I refine them and stuff. But mm-hmm. one of the main goals is outsourcing uh my youtube editing for videos that takes three four hours per video i mean that's 15 hours right there a week that i could be working on other things um i want to outsource yeah a bunch of things like that have someone who can hook me up with a bunch of podcasts and stuff without even having to do that i get hundreds of messages a month of companies asking me to do collabs or this or that or whatnot you're managing it i don't even read half of them because it's just it being in a flow state as I'm working, trying to do videos, and then I have all these things bombarding my life and stuff, it is really difficult. And um, yeah, you, you know, need I want to reduce the amount of decisions. You need an executive assistant. You yes. need a. I think that honestly, is, though, like straight up, I think that's going to be my next like purchase, quote unquote, so, is I want to get a full time right? assistant. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Amher, you know Luke Fenn, right? Of course, yes. He has so uh, Luke Fenn is uh, like I was explaining to you. And so, by the way, uh, Amher, Griffin is good friends with Alexi Millet Poirier, who was a district manager with StudentWorks when you were there. So they grew yeah, up Alexi. together randomly. Oh, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of my best friends. Yeah, sure. yeah. Whoa. And so uh, Luke has this title, the same title that Alexi had, okay. district managing other operators, right? So coaching them, consulting for them. And um, Luke is for the first year this year hired an assistant for himself because okay. he had he was coaching twenty three operators. Holy so he had an assistant for his personal life because he was trying to start a show and a podcast, and he also had them like kind of kind of like a uh, a receptionist, but that would answer things on his behalf, had access to his personal email. Would, I don't, I'm not sure how much financial management she did, but. Zero. I think he paid her uh, between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for the year, and he said it was like the easiest. Like, it was just like, like a no-brainer. Yes. Like, what was I doing? Yeah. I, I know this is a reality. Yeah. What were so that's amazing. Like, because I'm just looking at that, I'm like, wouldn't that just change the game for you? And even right now, I am completely going against what I said earlier on in the podcast <laughs> of reinvesting back into your business. It's like, hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. It. Right. I could exponentially yeah. grow my productivity yeah. and a video output, and I'm I'm working on like two other projects that I've never even really yeah. talked about to people. It's like so overwhelming. Yeah. And yes, I'm sure outsourcing well, all that could exponentially grow grow my productivity and revenue. So. That was the one thing that I did uh, last year that was the hardest thing I've ever done, which was let other people into my business to delegate. It's hard. And it's like so, and so there's, yeah. a, and, and what I realized there's like this, um, there's this psychological conflict between why uh, you shouldn't do it and why others should. And it's because usually if the entity, it's a, it's a catch 22. Yeah. If the entity you're managing, whatever it is, is big enough to need an assistant, well, guess what? You brought it there. You did it, right? You grew it. Yeah. So there's a really easy story to tell yourself. You did it, so you should keep doing it because others can't. And if you brought somebody else in, they might not do it as well as you. They might not do it as efficiently as you. Well, and then I looked at it and I was like, I plateaued. Field. But like, that doesn't make any sense. I know. So then I had to like give the reins of half my business to these two guys and they fucking killed it. And then I was like, and then they were just like, I was looking at myself and I'm like, 
why have I never done this before? And you kind of just want to kick them. Yeah. You know what's even funnier? Like, because I went to the same thing. I I, yeah. I hired a full time general manager this year, and yeah. not only was like, I mean, I, I've actually had less issues with the whole delegation thing because like I'm like secretly just like pretty lazy. So like I, I don't, anytime <laughs> I can push work off to someone yeah. else, it's like no problem. Like willing to do it, but not only did did uh, Jocelyn come in and actually do all the things I did, she did them better than me. I was like, oh, no. like low key. Like I thought, <laughs> you know, like, I thought I was all hot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like you know, we uh, we recently brought Larson on as a producer who is just the Ritz. I mean, this guy does everything. <laughs> he's he's making me look like a total like dweeb with editing yeah. these like yeah. the, the, the edits that he puts together for our Instagram. I'm like, oh man, this people are gonna be like, yo, clearly this isn't the same person, but in yeah, a yeah, really yeah. good way. And and so you kind of just get your standards proved wrong. And I mean, just you were talking about editing, like maybe there's something that you know somebody else could not only do let's say 10 percent better but even faster oh, and then you know it's like 100 like people could it's crazy yeah, yeah. i mean as i said yeah, yeah, one yeah of my number one yeah. goals for 2021 yeah. is to get someone to edit my videos better than i can do and help me just churn out i, I know like you can find a website where you can find some people overseas like in india who are yeah. amazing at yeah. editing and like you can you just pay them like two is bucks this, an is, hour is this fine <laughs> It's oh, like, that's that's fire, that yeah. like Amber's like, okay, I'm really I, getting into this. Other than the whole ethical thing of paying people two bucks an hour, I still <laughs> wouldn't go that road. Like, I still want it to be something personal. I, I would want it to yeah. be someone in the region okay, okay, that cool. could come over to my house so, or studio and we any, could brainstorm. Any proactive <laughs> listeners listening <laughs> to this podcast, I think what Griffin is trying to say is that he's actually accepting applications for an executive assistant. So. Yeah, or between the I pay more than two bucks an hour. Yeah. If you're looking for a, a mentor that and knows all about YouTube, that knows all about real estate, that knows all about investing, then he, he'll be willing to exchange some information for a little bit of work. So if you're looking for a mentor, Griffin's Totally, better. because, you know, also I have companies, there's companies that do everything in life, right? I have companies that um, they inbox me and they do YouTube editing and stuff, but to me, just sending my raw clips to some yeah. random person in Texas, like that just doesn't interest me. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have, no, but literally. You need like, trust. Them. You need to trust yeah. these people. Um, full disclosure, yeah. like when you're filming a YouTube video, uh, between your clips and stuff, you're reading stuff, you're, you're, you know, eating a sandwich or whatnot. Like I'm not sending all this stuff to random people who <laughs> can like the, yeah, I forgot to edit out the sandwich. Sorry, oh, I'll take it down. Out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I forgot to edit out. Uh... Yeah, but here's the thing, Griffin, is that like even, okay, I get the personalization thing. I get that it's like uh, you want to at least know the person. Totally understand that. That's fair. Sure. But they will screw up. Yeah, yeah. They'll screw <laughs> up. It's like, yeah, I'll find no, no, it's not a question. No, it's not a question of like everyone's human. They'll screw up. I yeah. screw up sometimes yeah. editing my videos. It's more just like a trust with. Okay. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because like at the end of the day, they're just raw files of me, like in my in my studio. Yeah. Anyways, my point just being, yeah, I just want it to be someone that I can actually speak to in person. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely insane that when you mentioned to me the last time about this, how long you spent editing videos. And then I realized that throughout all of your endeavors and the six bags that you have your six octopus arms in, uh, it's more, it's you're, you're the, you're the, you're the only employee for the most part. 
And yeah. so, and so, like the one thing I think that mm-hmm. if you don't don't get me wrong, you have surpassed John Ammer and I in fields that we aren't even close to you in. The one thing that we might have experience in that you are trying to gain is just managing people. Delegation. Yeah. And so, like that's just man, like that. The thing that I learned most when handing off all this responsibility to is like. Um, you can ask Mark now, and one of them actually co-owns my business with me now. And he, you know, for the short period of time there, you know, I was, my tendency is like jump in and solve the problem when they do make a mistake. And then when I make a mistake, I completely overlook the severity of it. You know, it's a bit self-serving and because, um, you know, and then he, we have this rule in place where, you know, he just says this word and it's like snapping me out of being like the micromanaging POS, you know? So, uh, and that, that's definitely my tendency. So, I mean, it's, it's something that I've learned throughout this, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear how it goes for you in 2021. So essentially like what you're saying, it's, you know, if it's the right person, the right fit, it becomes obviously a mutually beneficial relationship. hundred percent. Yeah. There's an interesting dynamic. Um, if you look at it this way, like it's almost narcissistic. Okay. And very egotistical to think that you're going to just be the only one that can do what you're doing. Right. Like, like, like mm-hmm. all the things that I was doing that I now delegate to, um, I mean, even look at the most basic. I mean, if you own a painting business and you're the only employee, you're doing all the painting, you're doing all the quotes, you're doing all the stuff, right? It's so egotistical to think that you're going to be the best painter. And even if you are the best painter your business is going to have, you're better off just hiring more painters. And then, and then, I mean, for me, I learned it the hard way too. Like I thought I was such a good, you know, manager of people and, and manager of clients until I hired Jocelyn. I found out, oh my God, she's way better than I am. And I actually can pay her less than I was having to pay myself, mm-hmm. right? Because the cost yeah. of me uh, managing people is that I, because I, I pay Jocelyn 20 bucks an hour. So the cost mm-hmm. of me managing people, okay, I'm saving 20 bucks an hour. But if I go and do more quotes, I'm earning hundreds of dollars way per more. hour. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, you know, for you, for editing, right? I mean, that makes complete sense. Yeah, I, um, like, cause you said on your, um, you said, what was it? Your ad revenue or something like that you, uh, for your YouTube channel, <laughs> you, you figured after all of your uh, time spent on your two YouTube videos, you figured it was minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour. So. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of. No, that's, no, that's from your video, then, brother. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what you told me. I wrote that yeah, down. <laughs> it depends. Like, yeah, you guys are delegating I mean, that, right? It's probably about that, but anyways. Yeah, and I mean, it's it not varies. like you're walking around saying that you're the best person at this stuff. No, not at all. Like, uh, there but it, are it, video it, I think what John's trying to say is just that, like, if you're the only person there, that, I guess it kind of becomes an assumption of some sort that, that you know, there wouldn't be somebody that would be advantageous to look at it. And I guess, well, like, no, for the, the most part, you're a very independent person, too. No, sorry. The, the, the point yes. that I was trying to make there, though, is that the real bread and butter of your business is you mm-hmm. in front of the camera, right? Like how your, yeah. your YouTube business makes money by the, by, I mean, obviously is I watch your videos and then there's ad revenue yeah. because of that, right? <clears throat> so the more yes. time you can spend in front of the camera, the better. So if you, if you hire someone to do your editing, right? Like how long is your average, how, um, how long do you think it takes you to film your average video? Not editing, um, just si- simply yeah, in front of the camera. The just filming, Usually, yeah, like an hour to an hour and a half. So if it takes you 15 hours <laughs> to edit a thing, you, you could make a video, or sorry, you could film 15 videos, and then in the same time, you could pay someone to just edit yeah. one. 
Exactly. No, and, and also, you know, so I, I get I spend 15 time... times more Griffin milks. <laughs> That's what everyone needs in their life. Yeah, 15 yeah, more times yeah. Griffin milks. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's really interesting. And you know, like I also I went to um, I went to business school and learned all about this stuff. So why yeah. why I'm not yeah, yeah. applying it oh, just dude, makes no sense. And but... we're not trying to pick on you. I no, no, it's funny though because it's not. Of course not. It's I. This is awesome to have a conversation about this because it's really uh pushing my um pushing me to yeah, yeah. Uh, out of my comfort zone and doing that so well, it's interesting though because even listening to you talk about etfs and things like that i'm sitting here like fuck i still got a financial advisor i'm still paying him like one percent plus the two percent for the mutual fund i'm sitting here like damn maybe i gotta maybe i gotta do yeah. this myself right yeah yeah maybe i gotta ditch yeah. those old arguments yeah yeah just to put things into perspective for you actually john uh, as a, a side note regarding the uh the fees and stuff so I'm doing a course right now anyways. In one of the lectures, I'm kind of going ahead and comparing mutual fund fees versus uh, ETF fees, et cetera. Over the average 30-year investing period, if you're someone who's starting with $5,000 and only investing 500 bucks a month, meaning the complete basic investing uh, schedule yeah. that a normal person would have, a, a, like a 0.5%, which is actually high for an ETF, but a 0.5% management expense ratio versus a 3% mutual fund management fee, which it doesn't sound like much, right? Like that 2.5% difference, that equates to like hundreds of thousands of potential dollars. Well, that was my question earlier though, is that like, so I understand that like there's like, I fully understand the math behind like, I'll be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars more, but if mm -hmm. the return after fees is still higher, that actually was then worth it. Would you agree or no? Yeah, potentially. But you're, my point being that most of these people, like, so your advisor, is he actually like cherry picking stocks? No, no. No, exactly. No, like, I, that's I, my point. I'm just so. simply buying into a, all I'm doing is like, I, I, I own uh, the power growth fund. Uh, with Diamond. Yeah, it's a mutual fund. Exactly. Yeah, it's a mutual so fund. Yeah, yeah. They make that exact same fund in an ETF for 0.08% management fee. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's yeah. just like, why would you... Why, why, why don't... Yeah, why don't... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because here's the thing. Most of what I've spoken about is passive ETFs where there's a lot lower, but there's also active ETFs. Like, that exists as well where it's literally the exact same thing as a mutual fund, but you can buy and sell it on an exchange during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, active ETFs, you're gonna have a dedicated, uh, like there is a fund manager who's buying and selling, cherry picking stocks all day, every day to try and beat the market. Like uh, a prime example of that in the US is like the ARK ETFs. Those are all actively managed by Kathy Wood, who's the manager anyways. She just buys and sells stocks and the returns are astro friggonomical right now because of the industry but my point just being you can find alternative uh financial products that have less fees than like a traditional mutual fund yeah because i guess it's the advisor that that you're saying is is potentially the part that's not really worth it i mean even the guy that what bank is this with or investment group um if you don't mind me asking he's he's uh, like i think it's quadris investments it's like i think it's, it's okay well anyways i haven't heard of that one but let's just say it's on a bank average, it's, it's a private yeah. firm in town that's what let's just say the average person who just says i want to invest walks into td like the like td like they're paying this individual a salary too of like 50 g's a year you know so you're paying for all of that. You're paying for the overhead of the fund. You're paying for the overhead of the branches and all that. It, it, it all goes into it versus 
an ETF is uh, there's a lot less overhead and stuff. Anyways, we've talked a lot about investing, but um, yeah, it was a great conversation. Honestly, I don't know if you have any more uh, questions for me, John or Amber or Austin. I think we gained just an absolute tremendous amount of insight here. And uh, Griffin, I, I wanted one last really... question. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, I don't know, let's say 40 years old and, mm-hmm. or no, let's say even like 50, okay? And, you, and your son walks up to you and he's like, you know, dad, yes. how did you get so rich? <laughs> okay. Okay, that that's the question. That yeah, I like get. what do you what do you th- like what do you think is going to be like your son? <laughs> this is how I got rich, like this business here or this there. And I don't mean like in a vague sense how you got rich, like your whole philosophy, but just like like if my son asked me, I'd be like, oh, well, I ran a painting business when I first started, and like I retired after that, or you know maybe someone's like, oh, I was a stockbroker. Like what what's your thing that you tell your son? Like oh, I was this. Well, I'm gonna tell him I was a real estate investor, and I just found a business that was active income, AKA for me, the YouTube and a job. And I just reinvested as much as possible. Like to me, uh, yeah, money's not something I really talked about with my family all that much, but I'm going to be the complete opposite. Like from a young age, my kids, I'm going to educate them on everything there is to know about what I know, literally like uploading my knowledge to their, to their brain straight up. Are you just going to like park your kid in front of your YouTube channel and be like, okay, son, (laughs) start watching. (laughs) No, I'm going to put him in the passenger seat of the car and we're going to go on real estate deals together. Drive for dollars. And he's going to learn everything. Well, at that point, Grant Cardone did with his parents. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. His dad was a, was a wall street broker. Okay. Leave work put Grant in the back seat and they would drive through real estate neighborhoods. And it was like, no way. that's how it started. Actually, I think I did hear about that. He was uh, he was saying he was a broker, but then he was investing in real estate or something. So yeah. it was like ironic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a clear answer to that. And like thinking about myself when I'm 50 years old is kind of like unbelievably know, difficult. Say, yeah. But uh, definitely it's going to be something um, like, what's, what's the point of life if you're not even educating your kids like let's say i do build up this uh amount of wealth and everyone here as well like if you just hand the keys to your oh kid and no education like yeah. what's the point of that well i have i have really strong respect for one of my friend's parents who you know we know is quite wealthy but just doesn't okay. do that oh really yeah and i find that a lot more rare that's weird. just like all of his kids are paying for everything themselves, have bought their own vehicles, have... Oh, well, that's... You know, and, that's and just, like, not... He's, he's really instilled, like, a good philosophy in them, okay. too. But, I mean, and, I mean, sure, they understand how he did what he did and stuff, but um, I would say the other route's a lot more common of just, like, hey, you know, let's just go... Oh, you're going to college? Let's go get you a car because you need to drive to college. You okay, know? Let's, go, let's go... Yeah, find I agree it. with that, then. Yeah. Of yeah. us yeah. showing them the ropes because at the end of the day, like... If you don't even pay for your own first car, I mean, full disclosure, my parents bought me a seven hundred dollar Toyota Corolla oh, when I was sixteen. Seven hundred so, bucks? How that's dare so they? So unfair. How dare they? <laughs> but that was awesome, you know. We I mean, need to I, put that in the disclaimer now because this is all. This guy is not self-made. This guy. <laughs> yeah, his parents bought him a seven hundred dollar. This guy's Individual. Anyways, but um, yeah, I'm definitely going to try and uh, instill as much uh, knowledge in my kids as possible. Yeah. 
and uh, and like you said, you'll or John, you said you'll uh, he'll be able to plant them in front of the YouTube videos and and share them there. But Griffin, I know you mentioned to me earlier that you were uh, off air and that you're also in the process of building a course. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just fill us in on that quickly before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, and kind of what that's going to look like and what people can expect. So amidst everything that I've been doing, all real estate and all that, um, I've been also building an investing course for specifically. Uh, stock market investing uh, because even with all my videos and stuff there's only so much that you can speak about in a essentially on a YouTube channel Um, so this is basically a course that's going to be all about from zero to zero knowledge whatsoever about stock market investing all the way Mm -hmm. to building your own balanced portfolio all yourself everything I personally know about analyzing balance sheets and all the other financials, my thought process. So if that's something of interest to you, um, definitely just subscribe to my channel so you'll be notified. I'm not sure when it'll be. I've I've been working on it for like seven months. I should be done by, I'd say, November. Um, But yeah, really exciting. So if that's of interest to you, subscribe to the channel. Go for it. What what framework do you use for your course? Are you using consulting.com? Uh, no, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet what I'm going to use. Like I've been creating my course. It's going to be a video format course, obviously. So I've just been creating all the videos like on my computer. I'm not, did you use like, did you use like Sabri Subi? Did you use Sam Ovens? Did you use any of those guys as your framework? Oh, uh, no, not really. I kind of just Mm. created a course. Like right now I'm not really thinking of the marketing yet. Like I know my target audience and all that for like basic marketing standpoint stuff. Uh, but in terms of all the, the, you know, the funnels and all that, I'm not, I'm, I haven't defined all that yet. I'm kind of just mm. really focusing on creating a product that I'm proud of that people are going to actually benefit from. And then I'll focus, uh, I'll focus on, um, on the marketing aspect and stuff. Yeah. Cause Amber's in the process of building a course too. Oh, amazing. Yeah. About what? Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, it's teaching tradesmen how to run successful trade businesses. That so is it's so like awesome. the A to Z, the A to Z of how to do it, but through a course. And that's why I was wanted to ask you about that, um, because I, uh, I, I have so much knowledge on that. I know how to use ClickFunnels. Nice. Uh, okay, nearly, we'll be in contact. Nearly then. perfected Facebook ads. I can show you where to host your website. Let's and go. where to even host your course in a format that's very simple. Um, Dude, I got you. Amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely be in contact then. That's uh, something I could absolutely utilize your knowledge on that. So when sure. are you looking to launch your course? Uh, in eight days. Nice. I've okay. Been, yeah, I've, I've been working on so it since like April 4th. Yeah. Yeah. Since I moved out. Okay, isn't it? So April 4th, that's around the time I've been doing mine as well since then. Isn't it the most time-consuming thing of all time, creating a course? Yes. Like, because yes. as you're refining the curriculum, too, you're like, oh, I need to add this, I need to add that, I yeah. need to add that, and then yeah. it just stockpiles, and now it's like I have, I think, 70 lectures and stuff, and it's, people are definitely going to have their, well, yeah, people are going to have their money. Griffin, how many, how many minutes per video? My average runtime per video is 55 it. minutes. I love it. 55 minutes per video okay that's yeah that's really impressive no mine are probably anywhere from 15 to a half an hour okay but you have 70 of them so you probably have around 35 hours at all with with all of griffin's diligence that he talked about uh, everything he does it's like griffin would be so the guy to like release like a like a thousand page like book 
Like if you just ever well, here it is. The you guy want is it? Here it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys want to know investing? <laughs> Boom. Yeah. 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 No, but uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Good luck with your your launch. Have you like been building a list and all that, or what's your strategy? So we the first thing we did was actually a proof of concept. So like, would people actually pay for this? And we had somebody pay for our course. So we know that's correct. And before that. Um, we, we found five people who were willing to pay us some good money okay. where we took all the content that we were going to put in the course and just taught it to them orally. Okay. And they were getting results. One of our customers before working with us was at $12,000 a month. After we gave him all the content, um, in the month of uh, August and, and September, he did over $120,000 just in the month. He runs a renovation business. Wow. We helped him close a $50,000 project, showed him how to do that. So... Um, and then I would go to someone like Luke and uh, other people in, in student works who have businesses and I've showed the content there and they're getting results from it. So Amazing. I know this is going to be a game breaker. And if, if John was to ask me that question, like, you know, if my son was asking me, I would say it's this it's this consulting firm that I'm building. It's going to be, you know, really drive my wealth. Yeah, I mean, consulting really seems like an amazing thing. It's completely different niche what you're doing than what I'm doing. But I mean, the totally. results speak for themselves. You know what people are, uh, the results that you, you just mentioned of some clients and stuff, it's going to be game changer for the masses. And isn't it just really motivating to you, you have certain knowledge and you just want to share it with people who are actually willing to take yeah. it in and like pay for it? Because at the end of the day, like nothing, where, where does this go? Okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's really. Uh, yeah, but but I get what you mean. It's like you get the idea, and then you have to write the script, and then you write the script. You put together the slides. You sit down to record the video, and then you're halfway through, and you're like, "Man, I should have I should have included this in the beginning." And then exactly you restart, and then Crazy. you get this whole. Do you use like do you use that. Trello? Do you use Trello to like organize your course and what it looks like, or? No, it's just folders with subfolders on my Mac. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I have this like big board and, and every like week has different videos and every videos has different subsections and each subsection has different but that's slides. Just, that, that's like that's the, uh, that's, but that's the template that you, the people who are viewing the course are seeing it, right? It's the, it's the user. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 So it's just like, yeah. that's what, that's what, okay. uh, how, like I'm that. lost for a word here. It's the. The, the framework, the framework of how the it's it's like a website. He's organizing it all. It's the, the, yeah, UI, the, the user like, interface. Or interface. Yeah, yeah, user interface. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you've got like modules and yes. zooming, and then it drops down yeah. to like. Actually, yeah. after we finish this recording, I'll show you my website and my course, so you can get an idea for it. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Griffin, this was like, this was just yeah. as amazing as I, as I thought it was going to be. Like, yeah. This, is, I, this I, was awesome. Yeah, this was yeah. great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before I ask you to share with our listeners where they can find you, we always ask every guest the same question to wrap up. Okay. Uh, if you could use three words to describe the strongest mindset that somebody could have when it comes to achieving what they want to achieve... Uh, number one, consistency, uh, perseverance, and just hard work. Straight cool. up, it's simple, but that's what it is for yeah. me. Love it, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Please let our listeners know where they can find you on all 
Yeah, so my main platform really is YouTube. Uh, It's just Griffin Milks, my name. And then Instagram as well. I try to post various different things on there. It's just Griffin Milks also. Those are my two main platforms. Simple as that. Mm. Great, man. Thanks for having me on the channel. It was really... And where can they send that uh, executive admin uh, resume to? Yeah, you can send... uh, (laughs) Yeah, no. Honestly, if you want, uh, you can send it to coin2capital at gmail.com. With a two? And it's two, like the the letter two? Coin2capital. Yeah. At gmail.com. Yeah. Well, there we have it, folks. Thanks so much for coming on again, Griffin. Uh, This was amazing. So uh, we'll see see you guys next week, and Griffin will catch up soon. Peace. Awesome. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.